Um, I want to conclude in our final letter to the church here in Revelation chapter 3. And so as you find your way there to Revelation 3, we'll begin in uh, verse 14. And um, while you're finding your way there, I want to remind everybody that Wednesday is our, you know, we have a, a church conference every Wednesday, the first Wednesday of the month. And that's a time when, unlike a lot of other churches, we don't get together to fuss and fight. Uh, we, actually, we actually come together to talk about the direction of the church from a, a mission or a ministry standpoint. We discuss things that need to be taken care of as a church and because we believe in congregational government and uh, leadership, people in various positions that the church has given them the privilege to... Uh, uh, being an authority over these particular areas might bring a recommendation or something like that. But at the end of the day, uh, the church as a whole uh, affirms those things, okay? It's not just what your pastor wants to do or what a select group wants to do. It's congregational government. And um, honestly, a lot of people don't, don't come. And, and you need to come uh, because part of you uniting with this church is to reach a world for the glory of God. Part of our church covenant is the idea that we fellowship with one another and we're here for a purpose. And so you need to be a part of that because we can, we can have all the means that are out here to try to notify folks about what's going on. The best way to notify people or to be notified about what's going on is to come on that uh, first Wednesday of the month. And you'll know what's going on and uh, I, I can assure you that if you do come, you will be encouraged that they really are people who love the Lord and can talk about things and not leave, you know, mad and frustrated. But we can do things that uh, we have to do from a business standpoint and have unity and function like Christian adult people should. And I have been here for 15 years, and I can assure you that that is the way the meetings are. Conducted. So I want you to be here, and this particular Wednesday, um, we are going to give the church a document that is an updated version of our bylaws. Now, our bylaws of this church have not been updated, I don't believe, since 1962. I think that is the actual last time they've been updated. I may be wrong on that, but I think it's some year in the 60s. It's been a while. And we've been, you know, operating and all, but it just for a lot of reasons, those things need to be brought up to date of where we are and what we, how we function um, as, a, as a church. And so you need to be here so you can get a copy of it, and you'll have you know, a, a good month to look over it. It's not like reading through the Constitution or something like that. It's a simple read, easy read, and just you know, for you to see, for you to know what's going on, and then hopefully uh, by the turn of the year, uh, we can move forward to that and affirm that as a church, uh, that this is where we are and this is kind of what we've been doing for a long time now to just make it official. And I say that now because that is much as church life as is a lot of other things. It's needed and it's necessary and I want you to be a part of that, okay? You need to be a part of that, all right? Uh, so I want to encourage you uh, to come this Wednesday at 6.30. And, um, and be a part of that, okay? So, Revelation chapter 3, shifting gears here, wrapping up 
this series of messages entitled, What Time Is It? And of course, Scripture tells us what time it is. Uh, this final letter is to the church at Laodicea, and it is representative of the final, the last, and I stress those words, the final and the last church age. There is not another one that will follow this one. The next thing that's going to happen according to Scripture is the church is going to be removed from this marble that's sitting out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and the rest of that book is about God's wrath and judgment that is going to fall upon the earth for those who have persecuted and rejected His Son Jesus. These are things that are going to happen because we can look back through the lens of history and see these other things that have happened. This is not a book of fairy tales. It's not, it's not your pastor's opinion. It, it, these are things that are grounded in historical truth, biblical truth. And we need to understand that. So Revelation 3, I want you to stand as we honor the reading of God's inerrant word. And we'll begin in verse 14 and we'll read through the end of chapter 3 there, verse 22. Verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodicean write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. And I could wish you were cold or hot. And so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and I do not know and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God, I would just pray this morning. God, give us spiritual ears to hear spiritual eyes to understand. God, help us to be the sons of Issachar who were able to discern the times in which they lived in. God, help us to know it, to act on it. And may I preach this morning faithfully as a dying man to dying people. Lord, I stand behind a cross today because, Lord, it is your righteousness. The good is yours. You be glorified, God. Have your way in every heart, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, again, as we have dove into these letters, we understand that as God begins to prophetically open up a picture of things to John, things that were written in a way that any culture regardless of how educated or uneducated they may be, the language in which Revelation is written in is written in a way to mask some things 
but at the same time to be able to explain things to practically any culture through symbolism and other things, uh, what is going to happen? Now again, we have the luxury of seeing some of this mystery revealed to us because we're able to look back now over thousands of years of history. And so these letters were written to specific churches in modern-day Turkey, what was known as Asia Minor, and they're representative of types of churches that will be here until the rapture or the taking away of the church of the living God, which is coming in soon in an, in an event that, that will happen. And they're also representative of specific church ages that we can look to a time in history and realize these are the things that God was talking about. And so when we look through history, we see the church at Ephesus. We see the church at Smyrna, a, a church that was, was crushed by the Roman Empire. We see a Pergamus church age that was married to the, uh, the imperial government of the time. We see Thyatira, a, a church that, that was uh, persecuted because of their faith. We see in Sardis this Reformation period, the remnant coming forth with the truth uh, and then that igniting revival in the Philadelphia church age that we talked about last week. And how for those 200 years the church went to the world and infected and, and, and infiltrated the pagan uh, ways of a world without Christ and enlightened them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are things that happen in history. Whether you believe there is a God or not, that does not change the, what has happened, right? You know, we, we have this idea today of, of people talking about we need to change our history. You can't change your history. It's history. I understand what they mean by that, that we're going to go back through philosophies and through teaching our, our children a different version of history, and that has happened largely since the turn of the 20th century. But I can't change what's in the past. But what I can do is I can change what's going to happen because of what I choose to do or not to do for that matter, right? I have influence over what will happen in the future by whether or not I choose to believe or not believe certain things and how I act on those things. But I can't change history. And we see these periods of time that speak powerfully about what John is telling us. So, so we're getting here today uh, to force us to come to a conclusion. Either your pastor's a heretic and y'all need to, he never needs to be in a pulpit again. Or either these things are true and they need to be adhered to, not because Brother Steve said so, but because that's what Scripture teaches. Now, they're, they're, any, any mashup of those two things means the first is true. Either the Word is true or I'm a heretic. Those, those, that's where we're at. We're forced to come to this conclusion that we're running out of time. That we're in this age. 
God writes a letter. He gives us this letter that is very descriptive of things that we see all of the time. We see the previous age taking the gospel to the world. And when we talk about the Laodicean age, the word Laodicea means a church of the people. In other words, through the Philadelphia age, it was the church that was shaping and making culture. What was acceptable and what was not acceptable was determined by the church because it pushed out darkness and the light resonated. Well, what do we see in this church age? We see the church of the Laodiceans. We see a church that is infiltrated and is impacted and is designed now and influenced now by the culture and not by the word. Now, if if you do not believe that, I don't know what you're reading, I don't know what you're watching, but it's not the right thing. If if you're that clueless to what's going on in, in the world today, you need to take a step back and reevaluate. Certainly as a Christian, you need to reevaluate some things. Because it is so obvious, it is so obvious in all manner of our culture today that the church is greatly being influenced and shaped by the culture. So what is then influencing and shaping the culture? Hollywood. You need to understand today that that. When the Philadelphia church age ended and the dawning of the 20th century, you remember one of the first things that came out with the turn of the century of the 20th century? Movies. Theater. And look at what we have today. I mean, look, look at the series of books today. Look at the series of, 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 of movies. What We even call them universes today. Cinemaverse or whatever you want to call it, but it is the developing of entire uh, movie lines and they're teaching a story. And I want you to understand something. My children and your children are going to be influenced by the storytelling. Throughout history, we have been influenced by storytelling. Good storytelling, bad storytelling... But those things that are being passed down, those things are being shaped. Those things are shaping us. And that's this culture. And that's where we are today. We're being shaped by the culture rather than the church shaping the culture. Now that's not to say every church is like that. But Christendom as a whole today is largely influenced by what it does, where its mission areas are, those things are being influenced by the culture. So what does God say? Because see, God has an, he has an opinion. He has an opinion about everything. God has a say. And what does He say? He says... Same way, same format that he uses in all of the churches. He has an assessment. And then he has an action that's needed. And he concludes that with, if you'll do what I told you to do to fix the problem, there'll be reward. And yet, 
by and large, we, we don't respond to that. What's his assessment? The assessment is that there is a church here that is totally devoted to the culture. It has a wrong perception of what really matters. And this idea of this non-offensive middle ground is actually offensive to the Lord. Did you hear what I just said? Notice what the scriptures say. Jesus said, I know your works. And he says you're neither hot nor cold. I used this illustration this morning because I've been teaching a Sunday school class of young people about these letters. And I used this illustration, and you've heard it before. Uh, I like coffee. I think the world is a better place because of coffee. <laughs> Certainly from my perspective. But, but before I get up in the morning, I've already got two cups of cold coffee in the fridge because I, I like cold coffee. But when I get up in the morning, I'm going to make me a hot cup of coffee. And then I'm going to grab my, my, my uh, stainless steel Yeti there that's got my good cold coffee, and I'm going to pack it full of ice, and I'm going to head out. And I'm going to enjoy my hot coffee, and I'm going to enjoy my cold coffee. But I will never drink, nor do I have any liking whatsoever for lukewarm room temperature coffee. It is to be thrown out under the feet of men. It's disgusting. <laughs> In every level. Now I'm sure there's an exception to that. And maybe you're that exception. And I love you. In Jesus. But by and large, if people are drinking coffee, they're either going to drink it ice cold or they're going to drink it hot. You won't go to the Red Owl or Eliano's and on the menu it will say hot and it will say cold. But there's not a lukewarm option. You know, Red Owl makes it real easy. Size, the red dot means hot. The blue dot means cold. They don't have a purple dot that means room temperature because they ain't going to sell many cups of room temperature coffee. Let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't like room temperature coffee either. Speaking from Revelation. I'd rather you be hot, I'd rather you be cold, but I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I'll spit you out of my mouth. God is not impressed with the new evangelicalism and all of these things, whatever you want to call it today, of where the church is spending the majority of its time right in the middle and being non-offensive to anything or anybody. I want to tell you, God's not a million miles within that church. Because I want to tell you something, if you're going to take seriously the call of God on your life, you're going to offend some people. You're probably going to offend some people in your own family. People might not even show up at your Thanksgiving because they'll say it's something like they don't like the turkey or something. But I mean, really, it's they don't like you and they think you're a turkey. Because <laughs> you believe things that they, they don't like. And you make them uncomfortable. And see, that's, see, the church used to make the world uncomfortable. And we're not even uncomfortable by the world anymore. 
We, we've become lukewarm. We've become room temperature where you sit and you watch most. If, if you turn on the television and there's a guy in the pulpit, in most cases, not every case, but in most cases, they're more worried about some social justice level that they're trying to achieve out here. And they've got this nicer than Jesus mantra that they don't want to offend anybody. And you're being offensive to God when you don't want to offend anybody. Because the gospel will offend. Jesus' words said of the gospel, it'll turn a mom against a son. It'll turn family against family. It makes us prioritize. It causes people to be uncomfortable because God's word convert, convicts us and, and it comes face to face with this reality of our sin. And that, that is a problem. That is offensive. Not in the offensive sense that we just want to throw caution to the wind and just get up in the morning and say, who can I offend today? No, that's, that's not the, the attitude of a Christian. But the, but the Bible uses the, the term, monology, offensive. It will cause offense. Let me tell you, the, the, the best of the best, the Pharisees of the day, they were offended by Jesus to the point that they had him killed because they were offended by him. I want to tell you, folks, the gospel will offend. And he says, here you are, Laodicea. You're a church that is consumed by the culture. Philosophies rule the day. You think you're rich. You have the wrong idea of what really matters. And you're striving for this middle ground, straddling the fence, not taking a stand on anything or any issue. And I want to tell you, you look at our culture today, if anybody needs to be engaged in the culture war, it's the church, for crying out loud. We talk about how we're displeased with Washington, we're displeased with politics, all of this stuff. Then why aren't you involved? Why aren't we involved in, in taking back this gen, the next generation and this generation for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because we have the same perception at large as a church today that they did. Jesus said, you think you're rich, but I'm telling you, you're poor, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're naked. Notice in verse 17, you say I'm rich, you've become wealthy and have need of nothing. I want to tell you, the church in our culture today looks at every problem this way. There's not a program we can't create that will solve it. How in the world, how in the world did a church impact the world for Jesus 200 years ago, 300 years ago, without what we have today? I'll tell you because they had something we lack today. They had the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit on their life. And we have scripted that right out of the worship service. We've scripted that right out of the discipleship. And we've, we've scripted that right out of the home in our culture today. But you know as well as I do, any vacuum will be filled. And if, it is, and if the church is displaced, then there's something else that will fill that vacuum. And that ain't good. And we're experiencing that today. Just, just think in terms of just what it says at face value. You think you have need of nothing. I mean, 
our culture today, if there's a problem, who do they look to solve it? They're not looking to the church. They're looking to the government. Amen, oh me, but one of those two things are true. When you rolled into the 20th century, you know who did the majority of education of people in America? The church did. But what did we do? We turned that over to the, to the, to the government. And it went from being local to state to now federal. And when, and when the federal government wants something to be adhered to, they tell the states, go do it. And the states tell the counties, you'll do it. And if, the, and if the county says to the state, we're not going to do it, then the federal government says to the state, and the state says to the county, you're going to lose this funding. You're going to lose that funding. And God forbid that we lose funding. We'd rather lose righteousness. We'd rather lose that which is right just so we keep the money train coming. That's where we're at today. So what do we do? We tolerate the idea that there, there are no differences now between men and women. And that those who are educated and sophisticated and have arrived at the place where they can, they can do anything, stand back and applaud when a guy feels pretty and takes the top part of the podium away from their daughter that's worked their whole life to be there. That's where we're at today. Because we're crazy. And we've lost our minds. Because we have adopted a philosophy. That didn't come from the church. That's come from 50 years of a slow trickle that's now in the mainstream. And I know what folks say. People say, well, that that's happens in their schools. That won't happen in our schools. Parents, listen to me. Where you want to choose to send your kids to be educated is your decision. God holds us accountable for that. But I want you to understand, if you think you will not be faced with these things that you hear about on Fox News, you've got another thing coming. You will be faced with them. You will be faced with them. And 15,000 instructional hours, listen, there's good God-fearing teachers that are in this church right here, and they go to work every day, and they love on kids, and they want to share with them a beautiful picture of love and, and, and generosity and compassion and the love of Jesus. And I applaud every single one of them for that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that diploma that you will receive is determined by how many units of the curriculum you have accomplished. And that curriculum ain't being written by this church and it's not being written by your favorite teacher who loves the Lord. That's being written by people that couldn't care a thing in the world about what we think about and it's going to influence your children and it's going to influence my children because it's the culture. 15,000 instructional hours of it. Now listen, you don't have to like it, but you're going to have to deal with it. And that's where we are. And that's where we are today. We have got to entertain some inconvenient truths. The devil's not concerned with having a conscience clause in our culture for you and me. He don't want that. He wants complete, total domination. And, and the Lord says, essentially, this church is of the culture. And you think you're rich. 
You got your ISAV. You got your medical institutions. You got your, 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 you know, all your fancy textile meals and you make good clothes and all of these things. He says, but you're wearing the wrong garments. I'm either a heretic or that's what it says. He says, purchase from me gold that's refined. What, what is refined gold? <laughs> refined gold is gold that's got real hot. So that the, the dross, the impurities can be, can be swept off. I, I, um, I, I've always enjoyed just the, the aspect of, of, of mining in and of itself. It, it, it's amazing. At how we can have something that we're wearing on our hand that is so valuable that they're willing to go through tens of thousands of tons and cubic yards of dirt to just get a few flakes out that it can be purified. I mean, I'm fascinated by the idea that we're saving the universe, the whole world, by looking for lithium through 500,000 tons of dirt to power my electric vehicle. I am so thankful for that. And when I see, when I'm sitting there at the railroad track and I see a 150-car coal train, I can just say, well, look at that electric car fuel going down the road. Aren't we smart? That's the culture today. That's where we are. And I'm, I'm amazed at what we will go to, the, the depths of all of this, to just get some precious metal. And I want to tell you something. If you think knowing Christ authentically and intimately comes cheap, throw that thought away. It's refined. It's difficulty in life. And what does the trials of life and the loss of life and the struggles of life and the pain of life, what does it do for us? It refines us. God allows those things to come into our life so it can draw us closer to God in our walk. It helps us to develop a prayer life that is daily where we read and we study the Word of God and we follow biblical principles, not the philosophies of the day. It's the difficulty that separates us from the world. Follows, uh, draws us into fellowship with believers. I mean, listen, we, we talk about a fellowship and we'll, as Baptists, we'll have a joke every now and then about it and the gospel burden and all this, but I love all of it. Because it, I'm telling you, it, it's, it's when we're together and we're worshiping together and we share a meal together and we can sit across from each other and even venture out to, you know, to sit with other folks that aren't necessarily part of our, our, our inner circle and we can, and we can just, just convene there with them and commune with them and have fellowship and we learn so much about each other through those times. Fellowship. And, and what separates us to where we have these conversations sometimes that are difficult, the pain and the trials and the troubles of life. Sometimes because of what we're going through or what we've been through, it, it creates an, an, a real neat audience of people because of life that we've had and uh, shared and what we've lived through and how we can minister to one another as a result of that. Folks, that does not come through, quote, as we like to say, good times. It comes through difficult times. He mentions, uh, after he assesses the situation, he mentions, you need to be clothed with my righteous white garments. 
authentic Christianity, having an authentic relationship with Jesus, being clothed with the, the imputed righteousness of Christ and allowing that to work itself out in you. Folks, the, the modern day church is more concerned about hashtags and a, and, and a t-shirt that's got something written on it. We're more worried about constant virtue signaling than doing a thing in the world about the problem which is sin. And you will not deal with the problem and not be offensive. Period. Won't work that way. The ISAB that they were known for says we need to spiritually be awake. You know, are you woke? You know, are you woke? Woke forever, blah, blah, blah. The mantra of our culture today. And what does that mean? That means that you're awake to every stupid thought that somebody can come up with believing and standing for it. We need people woke today. Spiritually woke. People that know and discern the times in which we live in and the reality of the Word of God and that we're willing to stand on it and be disciples of Jesus Christ. That's, kind of, that's, that's where we need to be woke. Woke from the slumber that we're in. He says, I discipline those that I love. So he assesses them and he gives them an action to take. And again, is this a historical thing? Do we see these things happening? Of course we do. As we moved into the 20th century, early in the 20th century, we began to change the philosophies of what we uh, were teaching. We moved away from, uh, from a, a young earth uh, perspective and, and, and a Christian creation, a supernatural creation, and we adopted uh, lock, stock, and barrel, the idea of, of Darwinianism. And folks, listen to me. There is not a scientific way to go from molecules to a man. There's not enough time. And there's not enough, there's no mechanism that exists to get you there. People that believe in a molecules demand evolution, they are exercising far more. I, I, I hate to even call it faith, but for you to understand the argument, they're exercising a totally blind faith in this because there is absolutely no way that can happen. No way. Not a way. But yet, that is taught by and large, right? That's what I'm saying, folks. This is, we hear folks today saying, well, I'm for the science. Well, which science are you referring to, brother? You referring to this scientism we've been experiencing for the last three years? You referring to Darwinianism? Because it's not scientific, folks. Jesus nails them on their whole ISAF thing. The snake oil they were selling the other day. Just like he nails us on our thing. I mean, if you're pregnant today, you, chances are you're going to go to the doctor and they're not going to recommend you smoke camels every day to take a little of the edge off of your pregnancy. But they would 100 years ago or, you know, 70 years ago. 
Things change because our knowledge is not transcendent, folks, but this is. This is transcendent. This lasts. This is eternal in nature. It's the Word of God. The grass is going to wither and the flower is going to fade, but the Word of the Lord is going to endure forever and we will be judged by that Word. That's what He says. He says, I know your works. And He says, repent. I counsel you to repent. I counsel you to understand the real deal here. What is at stake? And he says to the church of the Laodiceans, I'm at the door. I'd love to come in and fellowship with my people. But you're too worried about what the culture thinks and not concerned what I think. But he says, if you open that door, I'll come in. I'll fellowship with you personally. I'll fellowship fellowship with you corporately as a church. And notice what he says. He says, to him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit. I'll grant them to be with me. The victory that I have will be yours. Be zealous, he says. And repent. Folks, I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that as long as we are here, there is still an opportunity for people to repent, for people to be renewed, for people to receive the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now folks, without a doubt, without a doubt, I, I believe we're living in that age the Laodicean age, and I believe, based on Scripture, there's not another age to follow. When we move into chapter 4, we're talking about looking up and the church is going to be gone. And the rest of this book deals with what God's going to do as a result of His church being gone. And the wrath of God being poured out in what we call a great tribulation. Folks, we won't be here. That's why we have an opportunity now. You and I have an opportunity now. We cannot say, well, the next generation is going to do it. They may not be here. That may not come. I I don't know when it will end, only that it will. Are there people who have never heard the gospel? I'm told that they are. I'm told that there are several billion who have never heard the gospel. Maybe that's why the Lord's tarrying. I do not know. But I do know this. I know that there are a number of nations that were reached with the gospel 200 years ago that have fallen away. Nations have fallen away. America has fallen away. We have. The entire 20th century we spent falling away. And and today, very few people in a church could honestly say without a shadow of a doubt, I know that I authentically have a relationship with Jesus Christ because quite honestly, they've probably never been told. Perhaps if you give enough, you'll be right with God. Perhaps if you do enough, you'll be right with God. Perhaps if you virtue signal enough, you'll be right with God. Say the right thing. Have the right new speak. Have the right new thought. And you'll be right with God.
He says, you'll get my reward. Fellowship, victory, heaven, recognition. Revelation 22, 12 says this, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. Not, not every one. Every one. Individual. To reward according to what you've done with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are we sitting here spinning our wheels? Spinning our fingers around? Wasting time? Walking past the Bible? Just, it's in every home. That must mean I'm a Christian. What are we doing with it? Time is running out. This age is coming to an end. He says, repent, renew, receive that reward. That's what time it is. It's time to be honest. To have an honest assessment of my own life. And do something about it. Will you do that this morning? You're here today because God wants to speak to you. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Would you just be honest and sincere before the Lord this morning? Is there renewal that needs to happen? Repentance that needs to happen? Let's not play games. Let's seize the day, take advantage of this opportunity, and get right with God. That's what His desire and His will is for your life. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love You. And God, we confess our need for You this morning. I thank you that you love us. I thank you, God, that you've demonstrated that for us and that, God, there's a call to us today that if we'll repent, we can be saved, we can come home. God, we can be right with you. Help us to seize that today, I pray. In your wonderful name, the name of Christ, amen.